May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. With the arrest of John the Baptist, Jesus is about to begin public ministry. As he does, he withdraws from, um, uh, from Nazareth into Galilee, which is a hotbed of Jewish nationalism. It's a place where he'll be relatively safe from Roman authorities as well as from the religious elites. And so he's gathered there and, he, and he's about to begin drawing together a band of followers, disciples, that will be for him sort of a leadership team to launch this public ministry. Now here's what I want you to imagine. If you were in Jesus' place, and you were to go out and select people to follow you, to become your closest allies in ministry, who will eventually become apostles and teachers, the guardians of orthodoxy, the future of the entire Christian faith for the world. If you were in that position and you were selecting these people, what sort of people would you select for your band of merry men? And how would you go through that process? Well, you know exactly how you would do it. You would elicit resumes, wouldn't you? Send me your resume. And then once you got the, the, the qualified individuals, you would kind of skim out for the cream of the crop, so to speak. Give me the really good resumes. And from those individuals, you would then begin to pare that number down even more through personal interviews. Can you imagine the interview? So tell me, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> Can I call you Simon? You know, um, where'd you go to university? Oh, you didn't. I see. Um, Hebrew school. Not, you didn't go to Hebrew school either. Oh, I see. Um, do you have any rabbis in your family? No, no rabbis. Just fishermen. Oh, so you all fish. Yes, yes, we all fish. Um, well, thanks for coming in, you know, but we'll be in touch. Which you, of course, know means we won't be in touch. If anybody ever says, you know, we'll call you, they won't, right? So, so that's what it would be like. This is not the way that you go about finding the best and the brightest, or this is rather the way that you go about finding the best and brightest, not the method that Jesus did. You certainly would not just go walking down the road, see some schlep out in his boat fishing, and say, hey, want a job? The whole future of the world is going to hang on your actions. I mean, after all, you're out there fishing. You must be qualified. You wouldn't do this. This is not the way to find the best and the brightest people. As you look at Jesus' methodology of walking from one boat to the next and calling a pair of brothers and finding another pair of brothers and calling them, it's absurd. It's laughable. It's ridiculous. The only thing more ridiculous is what happens next. And that is that these guys actually follow. They go. They, they listen to him and they're willing. I mean, try to imagine now yourself, not in Jesus' position, but in Simon Peter's. Okay, Simon, this fellow who's going to be called Peter. And he's out working on his boat. His brother Andrew's there with him. I imagine Dad sitting on the, the shore in a lawn chair, you know. He, he's probably smoking a pipe, barking out orders. You're right. Hey, you got, you, whatever. Mom's got a tray of sandwiches. She's over there too. Hurry up. You know, it's time for lunch. All the family, there are other brothers. They're on the other boats right around them. From Simon Peter's standpoint, even if this isn't the best job in the world, there's a lot of good things about it. There's a payday. The fish are going to come in. They're going to go to market. They're going to make money. They have a salary. 
There's security. There's family. I don't know if you ever worked in a family business. There's probably a lot of heartaches and um, there's probably a lot of anxiety and, and issues. But at the end of the day, you know that the people you work with have your back. I know a lot of people who are in family business and they'll tell you, you know, there are difficulties or whatever. But at the end of the day, they know they work with the people who love them the most, who care about them, the most, have their vested interests at heart. It's a good place to be. So what would you do if you were in Simon's position? Well, you do exactly what you think you would do. You would ask questions. Hey, come follow me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait there, Mr. of Nazareth. You know, um, tell me, how well does this job pay? <laughs> oh, you offer nothing. I see. Yeah, um, that, that's really good. I could double my salary every week and I'd be in great shape. Um, you, um, you have benefits, don't you? You know, 401k, profit sharing, a little of this. Not, you know, I, I can't be doing this forever. I got to think about retirement and so on. Insurance? You know this whole Caesar care thing may not work out. <laughs> I thought that was clever too. Uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> so what, what, what are you offering? How, how good a deal is this for me? Where's the negotiation in this text? Because I don't see it, do you? I don't see negotiation. I don't see Jesus, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of making people apply and then going through the resume. And I don't see them, the, the, the people who are called resisting. And you say, I'll tell you why. Because it's Bible times. People in Bible times always did something different. You know, it was always kind of a, oh yeah, these, these things happened. It was in the Bible. No, read the Bible real closely. It's a very workaday, normal world. Even when Jesus does miraculous works, it's in the, the, the very ordinary kind of stuff that we would expect where somebody's sick and they need help. We know all about that, right? Where, where somebody is, is uh, facing injustice and they're calling out for an advocate. I mean, that's very real world, work a day sort of stuff. Jesus calls these men. Peter and Andrew, James and John. And he calls them from a normal, predictable life, get this, to ambiguity and uncertainty. He calls them from predictability to ambiguity. From the certain to the uncertain. And the miracle isn't that Jesus selects these men. The miracle is that they agree to go. See, that's what discipleship is all about. It's Jesus coming to somebody and saying, come, follow me. Look at, look at the text, 419, in verse 19 of, of the passage there. Oh, it starts, uh, you, you start at 12, so a little bit down through there. Um, and walk, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. I don't think the whistle was in the text, but I think it was there. (laughs) You, follow me. Let's go. Look at the next verse. Verse 20. Immediately they left their nets. They're out there casting nets into the sea. They're on the boat. They're at work and they quit right there. Now, when my children were young, they don't do this anymore. Thank goodness we don't have to go this anymore. But when they were little, bedtime was a big deal. 
Anybody remember bedtime? Oh, my word. You know? And it's like they were little insurance lawyers, you know? Deny, delay, defend. I mean, this is what they do. They would work in the system. Oh, remember last night we went to bed two minutes early, so, so tonight we should get three minutes late, you know? We'll make it up tomorrow. And, and you know, it, it was on and on and on. You don't see that in the text. No deny, delay, defend, and no promise. I'll make you fishers of men. That's what he does say. I'll do this. I will make you, not teach you. I will make you to become fishers of men. Not, I'll take care of your college tuition for your children. I'll give you a great career. I'll make you whatever. Just this. Follow me. And here's what's going to happen. And I will make you fishers of men. To James and John, same thing. Verse 22. Look at the text again. Um, well, back up to 21. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat, with Zebedee, their father. In the boat, with their father. Okay, you see this. These guys are out there in the boat. Their dad is there. I'm thinking he had to be at the other end of the boat, because he would certainly grab him by the neck when this next thing happened. And immediately, they left. Immediately. I can hear their father in the background, can't you? What do you guys think you're doing? Get back here. These nets are not going to fold themselves. Right? You have work to do. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed Jesus. The decision to follow him cost them everything. With no promise of anything in return. If you want to read a book that will blow your hair back, you have to read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship. I'm going to tell you, you get three pages in and you'll know that you're in for a, a real work here. And, and it's a bit scary, to be honest with you. You know this man died because he believed what he wrote. He wrote The Cost of Discipleship when, in fact, a few years later, he would be hanged by the Nazis for what he had written and said. And so when you read Cost of Discipleship, you know that this isn't just, it's not just smoke and mirrors, it's not just, you know, fancy writing, it's, it's real stuff. Listen to what Bonhoeffer says about the call. To follow in Jesus' steps is something which is void of all content. It gives no intelligible program for a way of life, no goal or ideal to strive after just this, follow me. Bonhoeffer says, if you want to follow Jesus, there's no program, there's no promise, there's not even a goal to strive after. There, there's, no, there's no ideal out there. There's no, there's no image of perfection. It's only this, that every day you follow Jesus. I mean, I know it seems uh, uh, a bit, um, oh, what do you call it, uh, uh, you know, kind of undetailed, very elementary. But following Jesus means following Jesus. But here's the thing. We can either follow Jesus or do our own thing, but we cannot do both. We can either follow him or do what we want. We cannot do both. We can either pursue Christ or pursue our own thing, but we can't do both. We can either be obedient to Christ or we can have our own agenda, but we cannot do both. We can either respond to Christ positively, affirming the call to follow, or negatively refusing to follow, But we cannot do both. Come, follow me. They had to think about it, decide. They could either stay in the boat or get out of the boat. Stay in with all the promises, all the security, all the certainty, 
or get out. Embrace all the ambiguity, all the uncertainty, all the maybes. And you say to me, well, you know, it's one thing to say that with your shiny cross and your backward shirt, but you know, not everybody's perfect. Not, hey, let me just tell you right here and now. Okay, there, nobody's perfect, and not least of all this guy. You've been around long enough to know. You know, yeah. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. In Arkansas, there's a state park. It's called um, Crater of Diamonds State Park. Have you heard of this? Crater of Diamonds State Park. It's the only place in the entire world where there are actual diamonds there that you can go... You can dig whatever you find you keep. Okay? The only thing is that about 1 in 150,000 people find anything worthwhile keeping. But parents love to take their children there and say, hey, look, there are diamonds here. Go find them. And then they get some away from video games and they go and dig all day and, and they come back with maybe nothing. Um, but most of the diamonds that you'll find are like the size of a, um, of a piece of kosher salt. You know, a, a crystal of, I mean, tiny, worthless, you know, but maybe read a story this year about this young boy named Michael who went there with his father and sister and uh, the rest of the family and, and uh, went out there. And in 10 minutes, he had found this, sh- this little yellow rock. And so he takes it to his dad and he says, look at this. You, you think this is something? And his dad looked at it. He said, well, it's not. I mean, it, it, it's, it's nice. You should keep it. I mean, but it's, it's not a diamond. I mean, look how big it is. You know, there's no way. And, and so the boy shoved it in his pocket, and he went back to digging with his sister, and they were out there all day. And about the time to go, his father, the father says to Michael and his sister, you know, pack up your stuff and, and take it up to the inspection station where the rangers will look at your rocks, see if anything's worthwhile. And so they take him up there, and they're sorting through the box. And at the last minute, Michael remembers that he had found this little yellow rock at the very beginning of his search. And he pulls it out, and he shows it to the ranger, whose eyes immediately get really big. And um, he says, let me take this. And he calls some people over and they put it under a gym microscope or whatever. About half the size of a penny. And he says to the boy, this, even after cut, will be at least a half carat worth $15,000. You know, just because something doesn't seem valuable to one person doesn't mean it's not valuable to someone else. And when Christ sees... Peter and or, yeah, Peter and Andrew, James and John, out in the boats. He doesn't call them because they're qualified. They're not qualified to follow him. None of us are qualified. John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, I can't even untie your shoes. None of us are qualified. He does not call them because they're qualified. He qualifies them. And he calls them. And he calls us. And the only question we're left to answer is, are we willing to follow? In the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit.